to remain standing now as we read God's Word together, these words from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. We call it the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. Let us read these words together. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. We're in the final week of our sermon series titled, If. Uh, We've been learning these last several weeks about how to trade our if only, how how to trade our regrets, how to trade our looking back for God's what if, for God's possibility in our lives. We've been learning that, that God is the creator of the entire universe and God is the creator of our lives. God is the creator of our possibilities, of our opportunities. And so God knows each and every time we take those opportunities, each and every time we take advantage of those things, and each and every time we don't. And so we've been challenged these last several weeks about how to take those opportunities, how to take those chances, and actually live into the lives that God has called us to. If you've missed any part of of these sermons, I invite you to go online. Uh, All these sermon series are uh, online at axumc.org, and you can click the watch and listen link there. Um, and, And Today, as we end our sermon series, I want to talk a little bit about hope. I want to talk a little bit about hope because I believe we live in a world that's full of fear. I remember when I was uh, a kid, I I was afraid of kind of the silliest things. Um, Maybe you knew what that was like. I I was afraid of a lot of things, and one of the things I was afraid of was my own room. Uh, I, I, I was afraid of it. Not like in the daytime. In the daytime, it was fine, right? That, that, that daytime room, I could go in there, I could be alone, I could you know, spend hours in there alone. But as soon as it got dark, I was afraid of my room. You know, it, it made kind of creaky noises, and, and I would turn out the lights, and there'd be weird shadows on the wall, and it, it was something that I was afraid of. And, and uh, you know, I asked, you know, my, uh, my mom and dad if I could, you know, just sleep on the couch. You know, that's, that's all I wanted to do was just sleep on the couch. And, and, and you know, they said that during the week, during school nights, I had to sleep in my room. But on the weekends, I could sleep on the couch, right? Or if I didn't have to go to school the next day, if we had a, a Friday or Monday off, I could sleep on the couch. And so every opportunity I had when I was a kid, I would sleep on the couch because I was afraid to sleep in my room. And, and, and I would wake up, you know, not rested at all because I would have left the TV on, you know, all night and, and, and I would wake up in the middle of the night whenever something would happen or the cat would meow or whatever and, and I wouldn't sleep well and, and this would happen weekend after weekend after weekend and I'd be tired and groggy and grumpy and, and finally I came to the conclusion that, you know, if something was going to get me, 
If there was something in my room that was just waiting for me to fall asleep, it was going to get me when I was well rested. I was going to sleep in my room and, and I was going to stop being afraid of, of this thing that was just silly. But maybe you know what that's like. That many of us, many times, make decisions based out of fear. Maybe you know what this is like, that many times we make decisions based on fear. You know, we, we, we've seen several things, and, and I love working in the church because I, I truly say that, you know, we see the best of people, but we also see the worst. And many times when we see the worst, it's because people are afraid. That sometimes people get married they make a decision to get married out of the fear that they won't find anyone else. It's, it's not necessarily because they love this person and believe this person is the only one for them, but because they're simply afraid that they'll wind up alone. Or, or maybe they make the decision to have children because they're afraid that their marriage isn't going to last. And, and maybe if they can have children, then, then this thing will solidify, give us some insurance on this marriage. Or we make a decision to take a job, not one that we're necessarily proud of or that does any kind of good in the world or that we're really even passionate about, but we make a decision to take this job out of the fear that we won't find anything else. Or sometimes maybe, you know, the kids have gone to bed and it's just, you know, you and your spouse and you make the decision to turn on the TV out of the fear of the conversations that will happen in that silence between you and your spouse. Many times we make decisions out of fear. And I think as Christians, we are called to look beyond that. As Christians, we are called to do something greater than to simply be these reactive creatures that just make these decisions based on this primal urge. That I think, in fact, we are called to something greater. Because here's what I believe about fear, that, that fear is living a nearsighted life. Fear is living a nearsighted life. Maybe you yourself are, are nearsighted, and, and, and unless you wear your glasses, you know, you can only see what's right in front of you, right? You can only see what's just right here. And, and I think fear is just reacting to this thing that is constantly in front of you. That, that whatever comes up is now what we have to react to. And, and, and fear is living this constant nearsighted life, but I think there's something better. I think there's something greater, and that thing I believe is called hope. That hope is living a farsighted life. It is looking beyond that. It is looking beyond the fear, looking beyond the here and now to something out there to something that is far better, far greater than what's happening right in front of me, that what's happening in this nearsighted life. And, and I believe that we have a call this week to live in this sense of hope, to look beyond. All throughout my childhood, my, uh, my dad tried to teach me how to play golf, and, and I don't know if he ever succeeded. I'm still pretty a, a subpar golfer. And, and I remember we would golf in, when I, in the town I grew up in, uh, Kuwaita, just uh, southeast of Tulsa, we had a small golf course, and there was this par three that had this huge water hazard right off the tee box, right? And, and every time we would get to that tee box, uh, my dad would say the same thing, don't look at the water, 
Right? Maybe you know what this is like. Maybe you're a golfer and, and you know that whenever there's a, a, a trap or a hazard or whatever it is, you are, as a golfer, not supposed to look at it because if you look at it, sure enough, you'll hit the ball in there every single time. But what we are called to do, in fact, is to look beyond that, right? To look towards the goal, to look towards the pen, to look towards where we want to go, look towards where we want to be. Because if we constantly look at where we don't want to be, we will wind up there every single time. If we look at what we don't want to do, if we look at the person we don't want to be, if we constantly focus on this kind of life, we will do it every single time, friends. But in fact, we are called to look to something greater, look to something better. As Christians, we have hope in this world. And it sounds pretty audacious to anybody else who might hear it. It sounds ludicrous to anybody else who might hear, but we believe it with all of our hope, all of our heart that there is this hope that lives in us. And that hope is based in Jesus Christ. Read about Jesus throughout the Gospels, read of his work and his miracles, that he was fully God and fully human, that he was the Messiah, that he came to die, not because of his own sins, but because of ours, that he did this very thing for us. And, and when Jesus did that, he proved something. He proved God's love for the world. He proved the fact that, that God isn't angry with us, that, that God doesn't want to just completely smite us, just completely wipe us off the face of the earth, that, that God is in fact madly in love with us. And not only us, but God's creation. God is madly in love with everything that God created. And our hope is based in that love that eventually God will redeem this world. And that is good news, friends. Read about this kind of redemption in, in the book of Revelation. And, and if you've never read the Bible, I would not recommend Revelation. Uh, you know, read like Mark or something kind of easier. But in Revelation, uh, we parse this, this passage out. It's in Revelation 21, and it's about God's return. It's about Christ coming back. And John, the writer of the book of Revelation, says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice in the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. Here is our hope, friends, that, that when Christ comes back, here is our hope that, that whenever God redeems the world, God will not just take us good Christians and, and send us off somewhere far, far away. In fact, our hope is the exact opposite, that whenever Christ comes back, God will dwell here. God will be here at the end of all things. God will be in this place. And our hope, our challenge is to already see that at work. That's why whenever Jesus came and performed his ministry and did all the things that he did, he constantly said the kingdom of God is here. The, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is right here and now that God is in the process of working his way to this place. And so our job, our ministry is to make this place look like God is already here. Because he is. He is at work. He is doing something right here and now. And so, friends, we are called to look beyond. 
We're called to look past what's going on right here and now. We're called to look past this nearsighted life and look farsighted, to look beyond, to look to the hope. And that's what Paul writes about when he writes to the Roman Christians, many of whom were, seeking, uh, were, were um, experiencing persecution, many of whom were seeing their friends tortured and killed for their faith. And Paul writes to them to encourage them. And he writes these words in, in Romans 8, verses, uh, verse 18. He said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory about to be revealed to us. Paul says that the suffering that is happening right now won't even compare to the glory that will be revealed to us. And here's the crazy thing, though, that, that Paul knows about suffering. Paul knows what that's like. Uh, what we know from the ministry of Paul is that he spent the first half of his life persecuting the gospel and the second half of his life sharing the gospel. And when he shared the gospel, what he did was go into countries and start churches. He would find people there and he would empower them, equip them to do the work of the church and he would set them up and then he would leave and start these churches. And this was not popular work in the time that in fact Paul received great amount of suffering because of the work that he did. Read about some of this suffering in his second letter to the church in Corinth. We call it 2 Corinthians. Paul says this, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked for a night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, from Gentiles in the city, in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked, and besides other things, I am under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul says that despite all of this, all of this that he has experienced, all of the pain and torture, all of the anxiety that he experienced, said none of that compares. None of it compares to the glory about to be revealed. What does that say about us, friends? Sometimes I feel silly because I worry about silly things. I have a, a, a now three-year-old and, and a two-month-old, and man, you will worry about some of the strangest things. You will wake up in the middle of the night and just put your ear to the two-month-old just to listen to him breathe, just to make sure everything's going right. Right? Every time the, the three-year-old eats, I just watch her like a hawk, terrified she's going to choke on whatever it is she's eating. We, we find these things even sillier to worry about, to fret about. And Paul says that despite our schedules, despite soccer practice and band, despite work and the fact that the house isn't clean, despite all of those things, none of that will compare to the glory about to be revealed. None of that will compare to Christ's return, to the hope that we have in this world. And so we are called to hope, friends to look past this fear that we have. For what we know about fear is that it's a lie. Really, in, in truth, fear is a lie. 
There's a theologian by the name of Walter Brueggemann who wrote about what's called the myth of scarcity. And I believe fully that that fear is simply based on a myth of scarcity. What he says about this myth is that we are caused to believe many times in our lives that there is not enough. Right? Regardless of whatever the fear is, regardless of whether the anxiety is, most of the time it's based on the fact that we don't believe there is enough. You know, I, I, I don't want to you know, volunteer or give up my time because, because I'm afraid that I won't have some other time to do this over here. Right? I, I, I can't you know, give that much. Uh, I, I can't give that much money because I'm really afraid that at the end of the month I won't have enough. Or, you know, I, I, I'm really afraid that I can't do this thing because I don't believe there is enough. And Walter Brueggemann said, that's a myth. That's a myth, and, and humans have believed this myth for years and years and centuries and millennia. We can date this myth of scarcity all the way back to the book of Genesis. Read about the character of Joseph. Uh, Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery, and it was there that he found himself in the court of Pharaoh, and, and, and Pharaoh had a dream, and he demanded that these people in his court interpret the dream for him. And Joseph was the only one who, who was given by God the ability to interpret this dream. And he found out that for Egypt, there would be seven years of plenty, uh, plentiful harvest. There would be seven years of plentiful grain, and then there would be seven years of famine. And, and Pharaoh made a decision in that time when he learned about this kind of scarcity, when he learned that not only would Egypt, but the entire countryside would experience this kind of famine. What Pharaoh did is he started to hoard the grain. He learned that there wouldn't be enough, and so he started to keep it all for himself in those seven years of plenty, not distribute any of it out, so that whenever the famine came, people from the surrounding countryside started to come to Egypt, where they heard that they had grain, and they would come to Joseph, and they would ask for this grain, they would ask for this food, and Joseph would ask them, what do you have to sell? What do you have to sell? And so they started to trade for this grain in the midst of famine. For one year, all of them gave up their livestock. The next year, they gave up their land. And then in the third year, they realized they had nothing left to give. So here's what they gave in Genesis 47, 19. Shall we die before your eyes? It says these people who come before Joseph, shall we die before your eyes, both we and our land? By us and our land in exchange for food. We with our land will become slaves to Pharaoh. Just give us seed so that we may live and not die, that the land may become desolate. This is a story about the Hebrew people and how they came into slavery in Egypt. That the Hebrew people became slaves in Egypt because of the myth of scarcity. Because Pharaoh believed that there wouldn't be enough for everyone else, and so he tried to hoard it for himself. And then when the people came for it, they didn't have anything else to give, and so they ended up selling them very, their very lives into slavery. And we believe this myth. We believe this lie. That there won't be enough. Now, I, I know that in Oklahoma right now, we are experiencing, experiencing a certain economic downturn. 
And I know that maybe in your workplace, things might not seem so hopeful. And, and maybe there is some kind of downturn in your home. Maybe, you know, your marriage isn't working out just the way you planned. And, you know, maybe your neighborhood is experiencing some kind of grief or some kind of loss. Or maybe your family is experiencing something. But what if Christians lived as people who believed in a certain kind of hope? What if Christians believed in a certain kind of hope that was not based on a myth? That was not based on a lie, but was in fact based on something that no one else can see. That was in fact based on Christ's return, that he will redeem this entire world to make it what it was always meant to be in the first place. Because this fear is based on a myth of scarcity. But our hope is based on what Walter Brueggemann calls the liturgy of abundance. Liturgy uh, comes uh, from the Latin word liturgia, which simply means work of the people. It's what we do when we come together to worship. And he calls this thing this liturgy of abundance because we believe in a God of plenty. We believe in a God of abundance. And, and what that means is not that you know, God will make you rich, that doesn't mean that you're going to have a bigger house, a bigger bank account, and a nicer car. But what it does mean is that when it aligns with God's will, when it aligns with the ministry of Jesus Christ, when it aligns with what God wants done in this world, God will give us abundantly more than we can ever think or ask or imagine. That we believe in a God of plenty. We believe in a God of abundance. And if we will just believe in that, if we will just live into that, friends, we will have more hope than we could ever have in this world. We also read about this liturgy of abundance in the book of Genesis. We read about the character of Abram, who will become Abraham, will be the father of many nations. And we read early on in the book of Genesis how God called Abram to go to a land that God would show him. And Abram packs up and he goes. And, and Abram keeps hearing these messages from God that, that God will bless him, will make him a father of many nations. Yet Abram continues to be childless. And so he complains to God. We read about this exchange between Abram and God early in the book of Genesis. And these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your reward. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born of my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issues shall be your heir. And then God brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and count the stars. Look toward heaven and count the stars. If you are able to count them, so shall your descendants be. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it, reckoned it to him as righteousness. God brought him outside and said, look at the stars. 
I know that in your old age you remain childless. I know that you believe there is no hope, but if you will go outside and look at the stars, God says, so shall your descendants be as numerous as these stars. That I wonder how many nights after that Abram would go outside and lie under the night sky and simply try to count the stars. How many times did Abram attempt to live into this promise that God had made for him? And how many times in Abram's life was fear surrounding him? How many people came to Abram and said, there is no way that you can have any heirs through Sarai, your your wife. There is no way, so you ought to try this. You ought to go and do this. There is no way. This simply can't happen. And all Abram did was look beyond it. It was to hope. And try to count the stars. Friends, that's our challenge in our life. To look beyond the here and now, look beyond what's happening, and try to count the stars. So we are called to hope, but it's not just us, it's not just us who are hoping. Paul writes in verse 19 of of chapter 8, he says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. The creation, the, the entire world, the entire cosmos, the universe, everything else waits for God's return. We believe that God will come and redeem this world that will make everything around us the way God meant it to be in the first place. And because we are Christians, because we believe in this kind of hope, we will see that out in the world. We will start to see things that other people don't see. In the midst of despair, in the midst of loss, we will see love. In the midst of pain and suffering, we will see opportunities. And in the midst of fear, when everyone else is simply reacting, we will see hope. And that will confuse people around us. They will look at us and see that we are different. And friends, that is good news. That is good news when Christians shine like a light in the darkness. That is good news. Because here's what hope does to us. Christian hope will cause unrest and impatience. We will become uncomfortable with the status quo because of our hope. We will constantly be working to make this world more and more like what God meant. So when there is injustice, when there is inequality, we will work to make it right. That when there are children who are not being fed, we will work to make sure that their bellies are full. That when there are children, when there are children in this state who cannot be educated, because we simply can't give them enough money, Because the state believes in a myth of scarcity, we will believe in hope. We will believe that there is something more for them. 
friends, we will become uncomfortable because we believe in hope. Because we believe that God is doing something in this world. And others are going to look at us and know that we are different. And that's why the writer of 1 Peter says this, always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you and accounting for the hope that is in you. Always be ready, friends. Always be ready to explain why we are hopeful. Because we believe in a God of abundance. Because we believe that God is doing something here and now and God is using us to do it. And so we are called to be ready to give that accounting to explain why. That's what we are called to do. Paul finishes the passage that we read saying these words in verse 24 through 25, for in hope we were saved. For in hope we were saved. Not in hope we will be saved somewhere in the future that that we have already been saved. Christ has already died. Christ has already done that for us. In hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it patiently. Paul says, who hopes in what is seen? If we hope in the here and now, if we hope for what we can see, then that's it. That's all there is. But if we hope for something beyond it, if we hope for something we can't see, then that is good news. Paul says, then we will wait for it patiently. And so I would encourage you, friends, this week, as you live your lives, one of your action steps, I would consider you to just hope wherever you are. Hope wherever you are, in your home, in your workplace. And, and when you're there, I would encourage you to ask yourself a question. Say, if I were doing this in heaven, what would I do? Because we believe at the end of all things, God will bring heaven here, and, and we will live similar lives. We will work in similar ways to continue to bring God's kingdom to this earth. And so I would encourage you to ask, if I were doing this in heaven, what would I do? Because our job as a church, that, that many times we can get this understanding that, that as Christians, we are called to, to, to come out of our workplaces, to, to come out of our offices, away from our business partners, to come away from our families, to come away from our neighborhoods, to come away from our friends, and to simply retreat in this place. Friends, church is not a retreat center. That if you find some sense of peace and solace here, I think that is great, but our call is not to stay in this place. That our job is not to retreat from, from our work and our homes and our lives. Our job is to be as, minister, as missionaries going back into the world to do the work of God. Because we can see something that no one else can see. We see what God is doing in this world. And we will show it to others. 